We are going to be uh, opening in the book of Mark tonight, so turn to Mark chapter 1, uh, and we're going to start in verse 16. We are in a series called Mark, and we are in the second um, of two teachings, which is about discipleship, specifically when Jesus calls two men, actually lots of men, not two, 12 to be exact, um, to be fishers of men and to be disciples that come and follow him. So last week, um, we went through all the history of what it meant to be a disciple in the first century. So if you were not here, Dominic Doan did a fabulous job of teaching through exactly what it meant to be a disciple in the first century when you were following a rabbi. It was incredible. So I encourage you to podcast that if you haven't had an opportunity. Um, but tonight we have the privilege of doing the second part of that, which is more fleshing out exactly what that means. We talked about the history and it's neat to be a disciple, but what does that actually mean? So we're going to talk about that. Most importantly, we love the scriptures, so we're going to read real quick, and we're going to pray. So Mark chapter 1, if you're there, verse 16. I believe it's on the screens. You can look up there if you'd like. But verse 16 says this. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Verse 17 says, Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing the nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Let's pray. Jesus, we invite you here. We take this moment to say we need you. Holy Spirit, we say that we want you, we desire you. We want to say that we need clear revelation. We want to say that we don't have this figured out, so please help us. We thank you that your word is true, it is real, it is life-changing. Thank you for the fruit that comes when we just sit under the wonderful word. And Jesus, we want to ask tonight that by your spirit, you would reveal the areas in our life that need to change. You'd show us where we need to move things around, rearrange agendas, where you'd show us how to treat our spouse, how to love our kids, how to be a better friend. Would you show us how to do all these things? Because we claim that we are just so incapable at times. Jesus, we love you, and we invite your spirit in this place. And, and God, I'm thankful that this is not something that we do in the power of our own strength, but it is truly in yours. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you here. We thank you for your word, and we ask that you bless us time. Everyone says so loudly, please. Amen. Amen. I need to tell you something real quick before we get too far into this. I love when people actually acknowledge when somebody asks them a question. Call me an American. Call me a human. So when I ask you a question or say, hey, let's say amen. Let's practice. Say amen. 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 You can say that, okay? Feel free. This is a moment where you can be loud. Like church often is like, let's sit and focus and not say much. Not here, okay? You can say a couple things. If you start saying amen too much, I might say, hey, calm down for a moment. But that's just about, about as bad as it's going to get, okay? So please respond. We, we invite that here very uh, regularly. Um, anyone ever had a, a goal, like a legit, real, amazing goal in their life? Raise your hand. Be honest with me. You had some big goals. You had a career goal. You might have had... Um, an education goal. Maybe you had a relationship goal. Maybe some dude was eyeing some lady and is like, that is the girl that I need to be with. Anyone had this goal? Don't lie to me, man. Are you here? Remember we talked about this? Yeah, you had this goal. I know I did. And uh, I remember um, I had this goal. And to get the goal that you desire at times, um, sometimes it takes a little something called sacrifice. 
You have to sacrifice um, things. One of the goals I had was to have a family. Well, I knew that I could not do this on my own. So I proceeded to pray, Lord, please bring me a woman. And not just like any girl, she has got to be incredible. And she has to be beautiful. And that's definitely first on the list. And then godly. And I know that's mixed up, but I'm just being honest here tonight. And I pray, Jesus, I really need an incredible woman. She needs to be amazing because I really feel like I'd love to have a family someday, right? So as I pray for this, God brings my beautiful wife, Elizabeth, into my life. Praise God. Clap for her because she's amazing, please. Let's clap for her. Yes. If you don't know her, you should. Guys, you don't need to worry about getting to know her, okay? But ladies, you're more than welcome to talk with her right after the gathering, okay? She's right here. Um, but I remember having to make these sacrifices, and my wife and I, as is natural, we said, okay, you know, it's kids. This is a great idea. To, make, to have a family, we have to have kids. And so we had this idea. Let's procreate and have little humans, so we did. And I have to tell you that that idea and that goal of having a family was great. But anyone have kids in the room? Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay, we need to get something straight real quick. Um, having babies is a sacrifice. Okay? Can somebody say amen a little louder, please? Yes. Yes. If you're not sleeping tonight, you're sacrificing, okay? If anyone has a baby under six months, I will pray for you. Come up afterwards, I will pray for you and leave immediately and start to sleep as quickly as you can, okay? But the, the, the whole idea with the sacrifice for me was, I remember, I knew intellectually this was going to be a sacrifice, but I didn't know that in reality. And I had a goal, and it was a very specific goal, and the goal was to have a family. And I remember when Elizabeth and I decided this was the time to have a family, that I was thinking, you know, we could kind of continue to do what we want and have the schedule that we want and have the life that we want. And, and everyone that has kids is obviously saying, oh yeah, big time. But you sacrifice things like money, okay? Now, money would be one thing. You can put money into a budget and you can, you know, kind of hopefully budget out kids, right? That, that's kind of the least of your worries. But there's this other thing called um, time, so you have to sacrifice time with kids, okay? Not only, not only time, then you have another little thing called energy, okay? They wake up in the middle of the night, they need a drink of water, you're, you're awakened out of your REM sleep, you're like grabbing stuff, figuring out what's happening, what's going on, there's a baby crying somewhere, where am I? I your dream, you're in Switzerland, so you're waking up just like, where am I? And these moments, you realize, I'm giving up energy. And you also sacrifice something called a clean house, Ladies, I'm sorry, okay? Love those babies, even though they make messes, okay? Love them up. And you sacrifice a clean house. And as we read this story, as we look at Mark chapter 1, we see these men having to sacrifice. And as we read this text, Jesus is calling these men to be disciples. Now, just so you know, um, the word Christian, and I know we're kind of, I'm going to get off topic for just a second, but the word Christian in the Bible is only used three times. If you didn't know that, the word Christian is only used three times in the entire Bible. Now, the reason this is important is because Jesus is calling these men to be disciples. Now, the word disciple is used 269 times in the Bible. Excuse me, in the New Testament. 269 times. Christian three, disciple 269 times 
It's important. Now, to recap from last week, um, we said a disciple had three main goals. I'll read them to you real quick. The first was uh, to learn his rabbi's teaching. In the first century, it was important if you had a rabbi to learn his teachings. The second thing was to become like your rabbi, to mimic them, to act like them, to sound like them. That was the whole goal. And then thirdly was to carry on your rabbi's work in the world. And so today we have the opportunity to flesh these out. And here's a few more thoughts on discipleship. And we've got actually five to be exact. So if you have a pen, if you have a piece of paper, if you have one of those uh, phones or type things that has a Bible on it and notes, please feel free. I'm going to hope that you're not texting why I see you uh, making notes on your phone. We're just going to trust that you're doing that. Sound good? Sound good? Yeah? Yeah, there you go. Everyone's getting it. First thing, uh, to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, you have to drop everything to follow Jesus. The first thing that we see here is you have to drop everything. Now, you might not have to abandon your job like Peter did, um, but you'll have to give up stuff. Most of the time, the stuff you have to give up is sin, but it is not just specifically sin, or it is not only sin. It is also things and maybe habits and maybe things that aren't necessarily sin, but aren't just good for you. And we see here in the scriptures that these men had to give up their business. Hey, come follow me. Give up your business. And it's different for everybody. The next text says Peter and Andrew had to give up their nets. James and John had to give up their father. Now, some of you are here tonight like, I'd like to give up my dad. I would be okay with sacrificing this or a sibling or a parent, whatever. Hopefully you have a good relationship with them. Um, but let me be clear, Jesus does not require you to give up everything and then accept you. I need to be really clear about this. Jesus is not saying, hey, you have to drop everything to follow me and then I will accept you. Jesus says, hey, when you decide to follow me and be my disciple, I accept you, whenever that is. It's not like we have this requirement that we have to, okay, think, what would, what would Jesus want me to sacrifice? I should sacrifice my girlfriend and this, not literally like, sacrifice her, you know, break up with her maybe is a better way to say that. Um, the whole idea is God is not wanting you to be perfect when you come to him. Rather, he is saying when he calls you, say yes. He's not expecting you to be perfect. He accepts you as you are, but as you follow the road of discipleship, he will ask you to give up things, sometimes sin, sometimes more. Um, and the good thing about all this is there's a massive reward. Uh, turn to Mark. We're going to be in the book of Mark. We're going to be all over, but turn to Mark chapter 10 real quick. It's over to the right. And I want to give you uh, a kind of picture of what Jesus says. He says, you have to drop everything to follow me. Yes, but there's also some good news behind this. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 28. If you have a phone, you should be there by now. All right. And Mark 10, look on the screen, says this. Then Peter spoke up. We've left everything to follow you. Wait, again. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus says here, listen, nobody that has given up everything to follow me has ever 
regretted it in the worldly sense. You think, oh man, I'm going to have to give up my house or I have to give up this relationship. And Jesus says really clearly, it might cost you everything, but you will gain the whole world. Nobody that has decided to follow Jesus has, has ended up empty-handed. And Jesus makes this so clear. And all Jesus says to us is, hey, just so you know, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. And while we're on this topic, just so you know, Jesus is better. Someone say that again, please. Jesus is better. Yes. He is better than the job that you are holding so tightly. He is better than the relationship that you are not willing to give up right now. He is better than some of the dreams and goals that you have set in your life. He is better than those things. And the scriptures tell us this so clearly, but what's our deal? Well, the problem is that we don't trust a lot of this. We don't trust a lot of Jesus. Have my kids uh, been a crazy sacrifice? Absolutely. It's been crazy. And I love them more than anything in the world. They're incredible. I got, I got, uh, I was at home this afternoon. It was wonderful. Jose was here running point on stuff. By the way, thank you, Jose. Give it up for Jose. Don't you just love that guy? He's so tan right now. You're so tan. Well, I mean, you were in, you were in Puerto Vallarta. Yep, yep, you were there. And I, I was at home and, and I, I was studying for this. I came downstairs. My little girl, Scarlett, she just says dada all the time. And so she can't walk yet naturally. She's only one. Please don't judge her. She's working on it. Um, <laughs> She's crawling down the hall, dad, 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 dad. And it's just like, I don't, like, you can pay me money, you can give me stuff, but a blue-eyed bombshell one-year-old screaming daddy's name, it's incredible. I love it. It's amazing. And it has been a sacrifice, but it has been some of the most incredible joy I have ever experienced in my entire life. And that's often how it is with Jesus. Um, John Tyson, a pastor in New York, he has a quote. It's, it, we're going to throw it on the screen for you. Uh, to be invited, he says, by Jesus, to be a disciple is to be invited out of mediocrity. Can anybody say amen to that? Please. Oh, mediocrity. Boring. You're invited into the kingdom of God. You go from fish to men. You go from a couple of dollars to a kingdom. So Jesus' invitation is always for something greater for our hearts. His invitation for you and for me through this passage of scripture is for something greater for us. It is something greater for our hearts. Now, Peter's response is, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. And there is a great cost involved with following Jesus. Um, but let's look at this same story, the same scenario through a different lens, okay? Just think about this whole context real quick. What would it have cost Peter and the gang if they would have said no? Jesus walks by, they're fishing. He says, listen, why don't you drop your nets? Come follow me. I'll make you fisher of men. What if Peter was like, ah, I like fish, Jesus. I mean, I haven't eaten, a, I, I, I haven't really eaten men before, but I, I really enjoy fish. And it doesn't sound good to me. This is not the kind of life I'm signing up for, right? Anybody? What if they would have said No. Now, the second thing that we see when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus is we have to think about the cost of something called non-discipleship. Think about the cost of non-discipleship. Um, if you follow Jesus, it's going to cost you something. We see that. But you also have to think about the cost of not following Jesus. What it would cost you to not follow him to stay right where you're at. 
What would you have to give up to stay right where you're at? Now, there are burdens that fall on believers that maybe wouldn't fall on someone that doesn't walk with Jesus. Let me give you a couple examples. Raising godly kids. If you didn't walk with Jesus, you might not be concerned about that. And let me just tell you, that's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of focus. It's a lot of dedication. It's a lot of sleeplessness. Uh, going to church, quiet times, evangelizing to your neighbors, uh, caring for the poor, praying Bible studies, all these things that maybe people that are not walking with Jesus would have to do or not have to do. But can we conclude that a life of not following Jesus would be free of problems? No. Many of you in this room have not walked with Jesus for a lot of years, and the reason you are now is because you realize how crazy life can be without him. And what we see here is that a life of non-discipleship is far worse, I would argue, than a life of being a disciple of Jesus. You have all the problems and none of the help. You have all the same problems. And let's just be honest, in this life, whether you're a believer or not, life can be hard. Life can be unfair. It's not always easy. We get that. But when we look at the scriptures, we have to recognize that following Jesus is the way. Jesus says, you've heard this verse, um, his, he says his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And we rarely see the cost and burdens that would come our way if we didn't walk with Jesus. I mean, it's so easy to look at someone else's life and say, they're not following Jesus, and look at how successful they are. Their business is thriving, and they haven't done a thing. And we compare, and we contrast, and it can get really confusing. Um, now, what non-discipleship, meaning not being a disciple of Jesus, costs you are things like overwhelming peace. You ever been stressed out of your mind? Have you ever punched a wall? Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm not a wall puncher. I know some guys that are. They always get hurt, and they look really foolish in the process. Don't hit walls. They get stressed out. You give up something called overwhelming peace. You give up in faith in God's power and control over your life. You give up something called hope in the future that this life is not all that is there is to live. And my friends, I don't know about you, but on certain days and on certain weeks, I am so thankful that I do not have to say this is it. I'm so thankful that I get to be on the mission of God, encouraging people to follow Jesus because of how good he really is. And life can really be hard, but he can also completely come in and give you that peace no matter what it is. He gives you hope in hard times. Now, these are the things that we'd have to give up if we didn't follow Jesus. And we must, must understand that we have to give a far greater price to not follow Jesus than to actually follow him. To help illustrate this, uh, Mark chapter 8, verse uh, 34. Turn there real quick. It's on the screen. You can look real quick. Mark 8, 34 says this. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. The cross in the first century is not used as some neat thing to, which is not really neat anymore to hang a cross on your neck, I guess. But there was a time in the early 90s when this was great. And if you still have a cross on your neck, we're not judging you. We're just letting you know. Anyway, <laughs> we want you to know that it is actually something that was uh, about suffering. A cross did not represent something neat to tell everybody you're a Christian. No, it was actually the symbol of death. And when we look in the first century, he says, listen, take up your cross. Don't take up this neat idea. Take up your cross, which is a symbolism of death. Come follow me. Verse 35, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
It is true that you have to give up a ton to follow Jesus and to become his disciple, but you have to give up even more to not follow him, we see. The third thing that we, as we look at this uh, plan of, of Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, the third thing we see is that discipleship happens in community. Discipleship, write it down, discipleship happens in community. It's not by accident that Jesus calls uh, two sets of brothers and then later calls that community a, a family. Mark chapter 3, verse 34 says this. Check out the screens. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. I love that. Jesus says, hey, whoever follows me, these are the people that are a part of my family. You hear us say often here, hey, we're a family. The reason we say that was because this is Jesus' design. This wasn't our idea. He says, listen, the church is a family, and discipleship happens in community. You cannot follow Jesus alone. It's hard to grow with Jesus if you think that this is going to be something that you do by yourself. Now, if you decide to be a person uh, that wants to try this out, may I just encourage you, you will only get so far in your faith. Waking up each morning and spending time with Jesus, drinking coffee, amen to that one, um, reading the scriptures, being filled with the Spirit, I'm going to be honest, it is one of my favorite times of the day. I love it. I encourage you to do it. If you're not, I encourage you to, to just wake up and say, I'm going to start my day with seeking Jesus, asking him what he wants me to do with my life, and I'm going to caffeinate my body to make sure this happens. But the thing that, that we miss out on is that we will only grow so much if we are not in community. This is not my design. This is not Solid Rock's design. This is Jesus' design. Now, this is hard for us because we worship at the, alt at the altar of uh, American individualism. We love things to do, uh, and we also love doing things by ourselves. We love my quiet time. You love your car ride, which I realized after having kids again, um, a car ride by yourself, that can sometimes uh, be quite a blessing. I'm in the car by myself. What? When I go to work on Monday, I have to tell you, I'm feeling bad for my wife. I pray for her. Lord, just get her through this day. I just, I'm by myself. This is glorious. It's incredible. By the way, I really do enjoy my kids so much. But we think that being a disciple is reading your Bible alone, and, and that is one part of the entire equation that Jesus says, this is what it means to be a disciple. Now, this is why uh, missional communities are important. You hear um, that we talk about all the time, missional communities. Why do we talk about them? We talk about them because they are a part of your faith and your growth in Jesus. Because it is essential for you to not just come once a week and say, hey, I am going to do life here. I'm going to worship. I'm going to kind of do my thing, and then I'm going to go out, and no one is going to talk to me about it. I'm not accountable to anybody. No one's going to help me with my problems. I've got this covered. When we do that, we miss out. Oftentimes, we suffer from bad decision-making, from lack of wisdom, from lack of community. You've been there before. And I encourage you tonight to remember that Jesus' plan with discipleship is community. It happens in community, yes, one-on-one, -on -one, but also in community. Now, mission, the idea of missional community, mission is about going. And I'm thankful that Jesus calls us all to go. And when we go, I like this idea um, 
of living life on the edge. You've heard that before, like, oh, living life on the edge. When you live life on the edge with Jesus, what, what I mean by that is when you're not standing so far back from the edge that you're not experiencing any of Jesus, you're kind of just like a bystander, like, that's neat. People are getting saved. Jesus is doing stuff. I'm going to watch that. I'm comfortable here. But when you say yes to Jesus and you walk with him, you, you get closer to that edge and you get closer to that edge. And the greatest thing is that you get to see what's happening when you live life on that edge with Jesus, when you say yes to him. Now, don't go too far because you'll fall off the cliff, obviously. But you get to see what Jesus is doing. And mission is incredibly important. And it's all about going. Uh, Scott Ballard, one of the leaders here, love him. He always says, welcome to life on the edge. He says, if someone asks you to go to Africa and you don't have any funds, just say yes. Like, this doesn't sound logical. Welcome to life on the edge. That's his answer for everything. And it works. It really does work because Jesus is all about it. And if he wants you there, he'll be there. Um, but we're in a missional community. We love it. We're with Jay and Michelle Fordyce. Hi, guys. Jay, Jay's st- sitting right here, and he didn't want to raise his hand because he did the book. But now I've got the mic. No, uh, we're in a missional community with Jay and Michelle, and we love them. And uh, a few months back, um, I was just going through a tough spot personally, trying to figure out, Jesus, what are you calling me to in my life? Like, I know some stuff, but I don't know all this stuff. And and I was excited about what he was doing in my life, and at the same time being unsure, like, am I supposed to Am I, am I supposed to go? Are you calling me to go? What's your purpose? What's your call? What's your plan for my life? You know, the small stuff. And I was asking Jesus all this stuff, and months had gone by. I was all over the place. One minute, I was super excited about what God has called me to. The next minute, I was, I was miserable and thinking, God, you don't even have a plan for my life. And I was being negative, uh, ungrateful, selfish, emotional, all up and down. And I remember um, I went out to lunch with Jay, and uh, we went out to New Seasons. Mm, if you haven't been there, please go there. Mm. Get a walk bowl. They're cheap and they're good. And we were there, and uh, we just start talking life. You know, we're, we're buddies. We're friends. We just start talking about life. How's stuff going? Good. How's, how's family? Great. And, uh, and I love it. I start explaining kind of where I'm at again, because I'd been going through this for months, and I explain again kind of what had been going on in my heart. And Jay just kind of uh, looks at me like, yeah, yeah. I think you're being a baby about your situation. Oh, <laughs> is that all? Okay, well, um, <laughs> let's just go. I think I've got a call. I've got to go. And you know what? I am so thankful that Jay was able to just speak love and truth in my life. Instead of pointing out all the things that um, I, I didn't have or didn't see, he just pointed all the, the truths out, the things that are already real and the things that God is doing and the things that are concrete. And you know what? If I wasn't in a community, I would have not experienced the balance that Jesus brought to my life. It brought such peace and balance to my life to know that somebody was able to look at it and go, okay, I can assess the situation. You're a baby. You're a man now. Okay, let's do this man thing, okay? Oh, okay, that's good. Now, ladies, you're thinking, oh, that's appalling. You guys are still friends. How could you do this? Ladies, I got to remind you, we communicate a little differently. It's okay. We're still friends. We love each other, okay? It's all right. Turn to your neighbor and say, mmm, I love communication. Mm. Doing some uh, marriage counseling right now with Stephen Aubrey. Hi, Stephen Aubrey. Oh, just got you. <laughs> oh, I just embarrassed them. That's so great. I love meeting with them, talking about communication and all the different intricacies of marriage and the differences of men and women. It's beautiful. Um, but I'm thankful for community, and, and we need to remember that discipleship specifically it happens in community. The fourth thing that we see 
Um, it takes time to become like your rabbi Jesus. It takes time. My Bible says uh, in verse 17, I will send you out to fish for people. But as we look closer uh, to the text, the Greek uh, text, it's actually, I will make you become fishers of people. Now pay a clo close attention real quick to that wording, become fishers of men. It takes time. It takes time to become like Jesus. Now, if, if you remember, um, the disciples are, are both good and bad examples of, dis, uh, of disciples. And here's why. One, because they said yes, they dropped everything to follow Jesus. But, but bad examples because they were pretty dumb at times. I mean, they were, they were foolish. If you don't believe me, we're going to go on a little journey and read some of their fun, fun moments with Jesus. Mark chapter 8, verse 14. I love this. It takes time to become like Jesus, as, as we just talked about. Now, Mark 8, verse 14, just to give you kind of an example of how the disciples were um, in process, to say it nicely. Um, verse 14 says this, the, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf. They had, um, excuse me, they had with them in the boat. Be careful, verse 15. Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because you have no bread. Hmm. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? I love this story. Have you ever felt like um, you don't get it at times? Like you're reading the Bible and you're like, Leviticus, what is this? Deuteronomy, not much better, a couple obeys, and, uh, but it's still hard, all right? Ever been in your faith trying to figure out why God is doing something in your life and you just can't understand it? Welcome to being a disciple of Jesus. Welcome to discipleship. It takes time to become like Jesus. It takes time. And please do not feel inferior or ungodly or less of a disciple if you are confused at times. These men were with Jesus himself and it was incredible how foolish they could have been. Another story, because I love stories. Turn the page to Mark 14, uh, verse 48 real quick. It says this, um, Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus? that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? I was with you every day in, in the courts, and they didn't arrest me, but the scriptures have to be fulfilled that I'm going to be arrested. And then everyone runs away, including his disciples. Like, I'm not, oh, I'm not, I'm not associated with that guy. No way, I'm out. Have you ever felt like quitting? Have you ever felt like you're just too tired to keep going? Have you ever felt like you don't understand first, and then you secondly want to just give up because you don't understand? Welcome to being a disciple of Jesus. It takes time, and the process can be painful, and it can be hard, but listen, you're not alone. You are not alone. The disciples give us a great example that we don't have it all together. Now, my point is you can become a disciple overnight. You can. 
but it takes a lifetime to become like your teacher. And we need to remember that. If you're in a hard stage tonight, if you're in a hard season, just know Jesus, he's aware. He knows. He hasn't left you. Don't quit. Don't give up. And please do not feel foolish. Jesus knows where you're at. The fifth thing that we see um, in being a disciple of Jesus is disciples make disciples. Uh, Verse 17 says, I will send you out of Mark chapter 1. Verse 17 says, I will send you out. And that's exactly what happens. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. You don't need to turn there. It's on the screen real quick. Mark 16, verse 15 says this. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He said, listen, here's here's the whole point. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation. Now that word go is in uh, the present participle in Greek. That's not incredibly important. Here's what is important. That means it can be translated as you are going. As you are going to work, to, uh, hopefully Tuesday. Anyone have a work off tomorrow? Please raise your hand and be joyful about it. Yes. If you have work tomorrow, I apologize that you saw all those people raising their hand and enjoying their day off. As you are going to work or to a barbecue tomorrow, be telling people about Jesus. Be preaching about Jesus. As you go and to the normal coffee spot that you go to, preach Jesus. When you go to the gym, when you go spend time with neighbors in your neighborhood, as you are going, preach the gospel. Now, a lot of the times we get confused because a lot of us think that this is someone else's job. Like, for example, Jose was in Romania. He was preaching the gospel. People were being saved all over the place. Why? Because Jose loves Jesus. He has a gift to evangelize. And Jesus says yes when people say yes. He anoints that and blesses that. And oftentimes we say, Jose, go. Don't eat, don't eat normal food that you like. Be in a completely different time zone. Be really uncomfortable. It's okay. Be tired. I'll support your ministry. You go. You preach the gospel. I'm going to kind of just sit here and do my thing. And I need to remind every single one of you, if you are a disciple of Jesus, the call is on your life to go. And some of you are going to be called to, to stay right here where you're at. And as you are going in Portland, you are going to be preaching the gospel wherever you go. But some of you are going to be called across the world, across the state, across this nation specifically. And may I encourage you to not miss out on the call that God has on your life as a disciple of Jesus. If you are a believer in him, the call is to go and disciples make disciples. To be honest, I am in a go season right now with sunset. I, I remember, um, as, as uh, Jose was saying, Phil and Diane were here, up here sharing the story of intentional. Well, when we started Solid Rock about nine years ago, um, I was starting, I, I played music and, uh, and did youth ministry. It was great. So I got to play music and hang out with high schoolers all the time. I loved it. It was great. Let's play music and go on crazy trips and do crazy stuff. That's wonderful. I, I enjoyed it. I loved it. And then Jose, as he said, he prayed behind my back for months, I found out later, behind my, could you believe the guy, that I would come, and he, he asked me, what do you think about coming to start Sunset? And my first thought was, no, I mean, I really enjoy what I'm doing. I get to play music, I get to, I get to travel around, I get to hang out with students, I get to tell people about Jesus, this is good, this is comfortable. And then that moment of complete selfishness overwhelmed me and, and my wife, and I remember, uh, we, we realized, like, Jesus is calling us to go. Now, when he had asked us, we didn't know what, what was going to happen. We didn't know all you wonderful people were going to be here. 
We didn't know if anyone would come. In fact, we were so unsure that we met once a month. And I remember we started meeting once a month and we're like, okay, hopefully people come. And I remember praying, Jesus, bring people. Because it would be really scary if it was us and our wives and two people saying, let's do this thing. And I know Jesus can do everything, but that would have been disappointing. Um, and I remember thinking, man, I just have to say yes. Before knowing anything, I, I had to say yes. And I think Jesus was so intentional about not letting us know all the ins and outs and all the good and all the blessing that would happen because I think it would have definitely swayed or moved around our opinion. And Jesus wanted to know, hey, are you going to trust me when you can't see anything? When it's completely black in front of you, are you going to say yes even if it's uncomfortable? And we didn't know what we were giving up. We didn't know what we were saying yes to. And to be honest, to stay where I was, I would have been so stagnant, I realize now. And Jesus is in that same process with every single one of you. He says, listen, I'm calling you to go. I'm calling you to make disciples. For me, it was 15 minutes down the road. For you, it might be 15 miles. It might be 15,000 miles. I'm not sure, but I know Jesus is calling some of you in this room to go. And he's been doing it for years. But often we, we say, ah, I'm uncomfortable with the idea. Say yes to Jesus. Now, before we wrap up, um, there's just one thing we want to talk about. There's a ton of discipleship uh, conversation going on in the church right now, and it's incredible. And we love the idea of discipleship, but we want to talk about, and we are talking about tonight, biblical discipleship, what the Bible says. And so before we leave, I just want to give you um, a couple things that discipleship is and what discipleship is not specifically biblically, okay? There's three kind of myths that are going around of something that discipleship is, and we just want to be clear about what the Bible says and what it does not say. So uh, the first myth that is going around is that a disciple of Jesus is a really mature Christian. First myth, that you have got to be walking with Jesus for decades at a time to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, you'll hear all the time, like, um, oh, so-and-so, they're a disciple of Jesus. And often they have, they have gray hair and they're wise, and that's great. I, I love wisdom. I love gray hair. If you spend money to cover up your gray hair, that's okay, too. You're accepted here. We love it. You know why I don't have hair? Because I can't grow any, okay? Welcome to the club. Let's, let's do this together. And what happens here is we say this person is a disciple. Now, let's just think about it real quick. When did Peter become a disciple? The moment that his nets hit the ground, he became a disciple. Was he mature? No. Does uh, get behind me Satan ring a bell? Was he ready? No, not at all. And if you are here tonight and you say yes to Jesus, you are a disciple of Jesus. And I need to make this so clear because there's so many people sitting around at times that say, oh, I'm not a disciple. I'm not godly enough. If you said yes to Jesus, you are a disciple of Jesus and you are valued in God's kingdom. Don't forget that. The second myth that we see is that discipleship is mentorship. Now, what I mean by discipleship is, is following Jesus. But what lots of people mean by discipleship is I get together with a mentor once a week. We have coffee, we read a book, or we go through a scripture verse, and then they encourage me in my life. That's incredible, and that is not discipleship. That is called mentorship. And we are all about mentorship. Let me be so clear. 
We love mentorships. I have mentors in my life. I love them. It's amazing to get wisdom from godly people that have gone way before you. And I encourage you, if you don't have a mentor, get one. We have a program, a ministry here called Life on Life, where the older mentor the younger men and women in the faith. And it is incredible. But that's not discipleship. That is mentorship. And we need to be clear about this. Because there is, um, when it comes to looking at discipleship, it's important to know that it is not someone else's responsibility to get you to Jesus. No, it is in fact yours. So discipleship is not mentorship. And the last thing we see is that discipleship, the third myth is that discipleship is a verb. You might say, what, what, what do you mean? Let me explain real quick. Um, you hear it all the time. So-and-so is discipling me. This person is discipling me. I've said it before. You've said it before. And that's okay, but we want to look at what the Bible actually says about that. Now, here's the problem uh, with that. Uh, disciples never used as a verb in the New Testament. Not once. It's always used as a noun. Now, I am not savvy with grammar or math, and I uh, lay my cards before you. Okay, now you got, you got something on me. But it is important for us to understand this because if, if you understand it, disciple as a noun and not a verb— Disciple isn't something you do or that is done to you. It's something you are. Now, let me give you a, an idea of this. Let's swap out the word disciple for, for a different word, for a different synonym, um, like Christian. You could ask the question, who's Christianing you? Like, uh, no, uh, nobody. I am a Christian. Like, okay, I am a Christian. Yep, we got that one. Or here's another one. Um, who are you following Ever ask anyone that? Don't. You will, you, will very, you will seem very foolish in, in their eyes. It doesn't work. You are a follower of Jesus. Now, if you think of disciple as a noun, then you will think of discipleship as something you do in a community with the help of brothers and sisters and moms and dads, and that puts the onus of responsibility on you to follow Jesus. It is not my responsibility to make sure you get to heaven. It is not my responsibility nor Jose's responsibility to make sure that you are loving your spouse and loving your kids and each day submitting your life to King Jesus. That is not my job. My job is to help and mentor and point you and give you resources and encourage you. And if you need a mentor, that's my job. But the onus of responsibility and discipleship is not on us. And when we think of it as a verb, it puts that responsibility on someone else. But when we think of it as a noun, it is completely and totally on you. And I'm thankful for this. This is exciting news, my friends, because we now have this opportunity to say, thank you, Jesus, that I am a disciple of you and you can own this. Your faith is not in somebody else's hands. It is in yours. And Jesus says, come, follow me. To end, my, my prayer tonight for you uh, my, and my prayer for myself is exactly the same, that you wouldn't just see yourself as a Christian, but that you would see yourself as a disciple of Jesus. Tonight, we have an awesome opportunity to, to read this text, to, to look at what it means to be a disciple, and, and we've got some decisions to make. And you're sitting here, you're hearing this, and, and maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Amazing. Maybe this is um, the, the 15th time you've heard it. Maybe this is the 1500th time you've heard this. But listen to me tonight. Jesus is calling you and me to be disciples of him. And if you are not a disciple of Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that tonight. 
And the reason I want to give you an opportunity is because I would not want you to miss out on something that we talked about earlier called non-discipleship. You have to give up so much to not follow Jesus. Is life hard? Yeah. Jesus is better. He loves you. He loves me. Let's pray together tonight. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for the wonderful gift that we have to be your disciples. And we thank you for this opportunity that we can follow you. I just want to ask right now, Jesus, that you would encourage and inspire your people. For those who don't know you and are not disciples of you yet, we just ask that you would do a work in their life. And we ask that you would do an amazing rearranging of, of priorities in their life right now. In your wonderful name.